You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website, ssbaptistchurch.com. Well, amen. Let's pray together. You know, that a lot of times when we sang the oh, oh you know, that, that, that part there, a lot of times we sing that, it, it makes me think of the Jewish, the Hebrew people when they were going to the temple. But it also makes me think when they were in the Babylonian captivity, when they were enslaved. You know, many of the old Negro spirituals that are at the heartbeat of many of our hymns were sung with the same emotion, pretty much the same emotion. Anytime people are in slavery, they tend to groan, sometimes without words, in the depth of their soul. And, um, you know, we thank God, even you and I, as we groan sometimes in the slavery of living in this world, living in bondage, uh, strongholds that may we, we're battling with in our own personal lives. Sometimes we can't sing the words. All we can do is cry out to God in a groan. And the Lord is in the process of setting you and I free. Amen. Just like He did the Jewish people in history, just like He did the African-American but he's done that on Calvary through the cross of Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ, and never forget that. So let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you love us. We pray, dear Lord, now that you bless and watch over those that are heading to Children's Church. We pray, dear Lord, that you wrap your arms around this congregation, that, Lord, you speak to us. Lord, we give you the glory for what you'll do today. Lord, I ask you to cleanse me Lord, by the blood of Jesus Christ, remove any sin, any, anything in my life, dear Lord, any word that has come from my lips, any thought that's come across my mind, anything that I may have done wrong, Lord. I want to be a vessel this morning that you can use. And Lord, we pray if there's one here that doesn't know you today, that they'll come to know you. And Lord, we'll give you the glory for everything that happens today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Remain standing if you would. Children are going to begin to make their way to worship. I want you to take your Bibles. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Judges. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Judges. Good to see you here this morning. We're in Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. And we're picking up at verse 11. Judges chapter 13, beginning at verse 11. See, good to see a good group of children. And uh, so Judges chapter 13, beginning with verse 11. I've, I've titled this message today, John and Eric are going to get tired of this, but I called it Parenting 101 Part 3 because we've had a three-part sermon on, on parenting. Parenting 101 Part 3. Now, um, real quickly, take your Bibles again, Judges chapter 13, beginning at verse 11. And remember, this is a man by the name of Samson. He was to be one of the deliverers, one of the judges. And in many ways, he's sent to save Israel. Now he comes, an angel of the Lord comes to Manoah and first comes to his wife, the mother of Samson saying that she's going to have a son, and this son is going to be a special young man. He's going to be a deliverer of Israel. 
And she goes back and she tells her husband, Manoah, and Manoah says, you know, I want to have that same experience because I want to know how to raise this son. So in, in Judges chapter 13, verse 11, we pick up in the conversation here. Manoah got up and he followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, are you the one who talked to my wife? This is an angel of the Lord, or an angel. The individual, the, the, the divine messenger said, I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, when your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule for the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord answered, your wife must do all that I have told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or other fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything that I have commanded her to do. And we said, you know, as parents, that's a, that's a good question. I told you last week, Michael Jordan's parent, his father was murdered in 1993. In an interview with a columnist, Bob Green, Bob Green was asking Michael Jordan, this great Hall of Famer, he said, what is one of the greatest things that has ever happened in your life? How do you believe that your life has been charmed or blessed? He smiled and he said, my parents. He didn't talk about his athletic ability. He didn't talk about his skills in basketball. He didn't talk about his multi-millions of dollars. He didn't talk about all of the awards and the success and even the Hall of Fame. Michael Jordan said, the greatest benefit that I've ever had is my parents. He said, their day-to-day -day example lived out in our home was the greatest influence in my life. So we're talking about parenting today. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you. We love you. Lord, we thank you. I thank you for these here today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now what I'd like to do, because again, Reggie and I are doing a little topical preaching. Normally, we exegete the Scripture verse by verse. We finish the Gospel of Mark. And we thought we'd take a break and just do some topical messages. Now, today, I want us to go back and I want us to review these principles. Let's just look at them again. Principle number one, this is under Parenting 101, and I pray that you'll go back and listen to this. But uh, principle one, can we get it up there? We, there we go. Spiritual truths will be tested and so will your effectiveness as a parent. Sooner or later, the spiritual principles that you and I have incorporated, ingrained, we taught our children, will be experienced in real life, and that will determine our effectiveness or our ineffectiveness. Principle number two. Parent with transparency. Now, what are we talking about? A confessional truth-filled atmosphere. In other words, listen, you and I, like Job, we're not sinless. We want to be blameless. What does that mean? We just want to be transparent parents. You know, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I've shared with my grown sons some of my own battles, my idiosyncrasies, some of the deep, dark secrets of their dad's life. I wanted my sons to be better men than I am. So we said, you know, you need that, that kind of home atmosphere where people can be transparent. Listen, everybody look this way. That's the way a church ought to be. Your church ought to be that way. Principle number three. Constant conflict damages developing children. Would you agree? 
You know, the reality is that if there's a lot of tension in your home, a lot of conflict, and this can be in the form of depression. And, and let me say this again. If a parent is dealing with chronic depression, they need help. Okay? They need help. You know, sometimes families experience difficulties in, in many areas. So I'm not just talking about tension. Tension can come in a lot of different forms, but mainly conflict, fighting, disagreements. A family that lived next door to my grandmother, they owned a little, a little store. Uh, one day, the husband and wife got into a fight. The father-in-law of the man came over in this fight to rest. I believe this might even beat anything you've come to. Maybe not, because I know y'all dealt with something even this week. The, uh, a family, tragically, where three members were killed. And we want to pray for that family. But the reality is this family, this husband and wife got into an argument and the man shot his wife in the front of this store, out right out in the front of the store with the children watching. The father-in-law then shot and killed him. Both of their parents were killed in front of their children in a conflict. So constant conflict can damage developing children, even if it's not something that extreme. Principle number four, build memories. You and I need to encourage each other by building memories. Build good memories. You know, a lot of times children need that. They just need some good memories incorporated into their life. Ledge and Alicia took Caleb, my little grandson, down to Destin, Florida because that was his birthday wish all year that he would go to the water park down there. Well, it's turned into a trip to hell and back. The condo had power outage, so they didn't have no air conditioning. Then on top of that... Alicia went to get coffee and the vehicle overheated and now they've got vehicle problems. Well, let me tell you one thing. Everybody look this way. They're building a memory. <laughs> you know, look, look this way. All memories are not always good, are they? Sometimes memories can be a bad experience, but let me tell you, you never forget them. And years from now, you know what will happen? Three grown men will be sitting around that table and all sat down start laughing. And they'll say, Dad, you remember when you got so bad when we went down to that water park and the condo, ran, the power went out because I could see ledge getting hot. It's ugly. But build memories. They're not always good memories, but one day you'll look back and you may laugh. Number five, principle number five. Watch this. Live life on the edge of your present faith. Be willing to take some risk. Live your life. Enjoy life. Hey, listen. Go to Africa. Take a trip. Go somewhere. Let your children see something. You know, I've been to all 50 state capitals. Prayer walked around those capitals. Let me tell you, it's been an adventure. I've loved it. So live your life on the edge of your present faith. Principle number six. Children who raise themselves bring great heartache to themselves and others. In other words, a lot of times we get frustrated as parents and we just say, man, I'm out of here, I give up. I'm just going, they'll find their way, they'll learn, they'll learn the hard way. Well, let me tell you, what is that? God's not called you to leave your children to raise themselves. Principle number seven. Biblical corporal punishment ensures enforcement of biblical principles and accountability. Sometimes it requires discipline. You know, sometimes we have to discipline. We have to spank our children. Never do it with your hand. Never do it while you're angry. I suggest that you do what the Bible says. The Bible in the Hebrew uses the word for dow, which means a switch. 
Now, I don't know about you, but if I had a choice, I would rather have my mom's hand than a switch. But she didn't give me a vote on it. She always said, go cut me a switch. My grandmother said, listen to this, go cut me a keen switch. You know what a keen switch meant? It meant a switch that came to a point and had about three little leaves on it. So that when grandma was walking through the house, it was a pa you know. I love John Williams. Nobody can say it like John Williams. Somebody looked at John and said, John, you've just had your fourth child. What's it like? He said, man, I feel like I come home and the only thing I do is spank the kids and, put, and help get them into bed. And I said, I said, yeah, John, I can just see you opening the door. Annalise, Sadie, Micah. And all of a sudden you open them and go and say, here's daddy. <laughs> but you know, sometimes you have to have discipline. It's required. If you want to ingrain those biblical principles and you want accountability, you've got to have it. Principle number eight. Spoiled children become spoiled adults. You ever met a spoiled adult? Yeah. Hey, you remember throwing a fit? I had a lady one time tell a pastor friend of mine, she told Dr. Ron Herod, a guy I used a week ago in, a, in an illustration. She said, well, Dr. Ron, you don't understand because Brother Ron was talking about how bad the kid was. And the mom said, I, listen, I just want to apologize for the behavior of my child, but my child is high strung and nervous. High strung and nervous. Dr. Ron Herod looked at her and said, ma'am, I remember one time when I was in church and I got high-strung and nervous. He said, my dad got more high-strung and nervous than I was. And we went outside and he got really high-strung and nervous. And when I came back in, I was really calmed down. Some children need to be disciplined. I work too hard for children to interrupt. So spoiled children become spoiled adults. You, you know, you spoil your kids, get ready. They may be spoiled adults. Now, principle, principle number nine. Because Manoah has asked the Lord, has asked the angel of the Lord, listen, how do I raise children? Well, that's a good question. But principle number nine, teach and model a disciplined life of holiness. Everybody take your Bible, leave Judges, go over to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Go back over there into the, right past the book of James, back way back toward the back of your Bible. 1 Peter, I think I'm right here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Now, Peter is talking to the early church, and he's talking to every man, woman, boy, and girl. Now, watch what he says here. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 16, he said, For it is written, Be holy, be holy, because I am holy. Now, everybody look this way. That's in the imperative, it's a command. Be holy. God says be holy even as I am holy. God's people were always told to be holy. The word in the Greek is hagios. The word hagios means to be set apart. Now what does that mean? Well, let me give you a good illustration. In the Old Testament, when a Jewish family got ready for the Passover, they would go out into the sheepfold and they would look for a lamb without blemish. They would find a lamb and they would set it apart. A lot of times when you're raising animals, when you raise an animal for, for a killing, you know, whether it be a cow or a pig, sometimes you'd set it apart. Um, you know, people used to eat um, a possum. Now, I don't know about you, but a possum is a nasty animal. It looked like a giant rat. And so I would say to my grandmother, 
who every once in a while you'd see a, a coon or something like that, some strange looking creature boiling on the pot. Belle, did your mom ever do this? And uh, old folks would cook a possum. And I asked one time, I said, what does a possum taste like? They said, well, it tastes like ham. Daniel's eating possum, You right? am I right? But now what bothered me was this. What bothered me was they said that they'd catch a possum and they had to clean it out, which meant that they had to set it apart and they would feed it corn, feed it some good stuff and basically clean the possum out. Then they would butcher, kill the possum and serve him with sweet potatoes. Our senior adults, does that sound about right? Now they're all back there, amen. Nothing better than a good possum. <laughs> well... <coughs> In some ways, this is what this is a principle for you and I in parenting. You and I are required by God to teach our children what holiness means. Holiness means to be set apart. Now, what does that mean to be set apart? It means to be set apart from the world. Now, you may say, well, that's a strange thing. How can I do that? Well, you and I have to be careful that we are not in the world, but of the world, as the Bible said. You know, Moses told the... the Moses told the Jewish people, he said, now listen, you're getting ready to go into a pagan land. It's the promised land, but it's a pagan land. And a lot of the cultural, a lot of the distinctives of these pagans, is gonna, it, it can influence your life. So you've got to be careful and you've got to try to maintain your holiness. Let me give you an example. Um, I don't know if we've got any electricians. Jerry, you probably know this. But when you're wiring a house, you have different kinds of wire. You've got big wire. It looks like big black wire, this number four or number six. And that's what you wire your stove, your dryer, your hot water heater. You take that big wire and you run it from your breaker box with a big breaker that can carry the amps, and you run it through the house, and you wire your, you wire your stove. Now, a light switch can be a number 12, be a number 14. Different, and it's a lot smaller wire. Now, when you're wiring a home, you've got the power coming from the power line down to the, man, Southern Electric will be proud of me on this one. I do their devotionals on Monday mornings. But you've got the power coming from the power line, down from the transformer down there, and it comes down into the meter, uh, into the meter box, in, I mean into the breaker box, through the house, into the breaker box, and then it kind of, it goes with breakers and, and wires all through the house. Now what you don't want in the wire is what? What? I can't hear you, Chris. You're right, you don't want a nick or a scratch. What you don't want, Philip knows this, you don't want it, Chris knows this, you don't want a break in the wire because if you get a break in the wire, look at me, listen closely. You short the wire, hey, where's our electrician? I just heard our electrician, there he is. David Lott is an electrician, commercial grade electrician. So David, I forgot about you. But what you don't want is a short because if you have a short, now everybody look this way. There's going to be an enormous amount of damage to the house. It can burn down a house and you'll be this top story on, uh, on, uh, on Teresa's website next tomorrow. The other thing is, is listen, everybody listen. You don't get the power where it was intended to be. If it's shorted out somewhere along the way, it may now burn down the house, but the power never gets to where you intended it for it to go. You and I are in the process of raising children 
in order that God can take their gifts and abilities through the power of His Holy Spirit and plug them in, now listen to this, to where His will and His purpose is for their life. In other words, they're, not, they're in the world, they're not of it. They're insulated from the world, and they come into contact with the world where God wants them to come in contact with. Is that right? Is that correct? Does that make sense? That's holiness. You're teaching your children how to be holy, and you teach and model holiness. You know, sometimes it, it's very practical. Sometimes we just simply say, listen, you don't make a big scene. You know, that's what, I, that's what bothers me about Christians. Sometimes they make a big hoopla out of it. You don't make a big scene. You don't condemn people, look down on them, make smart remarks because you quit smoking and you don't like them smoking, or they're sitting there drinking a beer and, and, or whatever it may be, or they're watching a movie that you had to get up and walk out of. You're not, you don't have a spirit of condemnation, condescending. That's not you. You're just quietly, sometimes just slipping out, just saying, well, you know, it just had some things in that I'm just not comfortable with. I had to leave. And your kids are going, Dad, why did we leave? We want to stay. <laughs> They're the spoiled kids throwing a fit. Hey, listen, it just had some things in the movie that I just didn't want you kids to hear. You know, sometimes we cut off a song. Sometimes we have to leave a room in a conversation. Sometimes we have to leave a room or a conversation because we're teaching our children something. Everybody listen closely. In 19... In 19, let's see, 1968, I moved to Yazoo City, Mississippi. I was a Yankee. I was born in Niagara Falls, New York. My dad worked for NASA. We moved around all over the country. I sound like a Yankee. Hey, I was telling, Jeffrey, I was telling Sam, my oldest grandson yesterday, I was talking about, I sound like a Yankee. Hey, you guys. Hey, you guys, come on. And they looked at me like, you, you guys. And man, I was bullied. I was made fun of. It was tough. I mean, it was tough living in that kind of environment. During that time, if it couldn't get any worse, the schools integrated. I wasn't watching Remember the Titans. I was living it. And I remember one day, we were at a family reunion, my grandmother's house. We were all gathered at a family reunion when all of a sudden I heard tension growing in the house. You could just feel it. It was during the time that people were deciding whether they were going to send their white families or were going to send their kids to the public schools or whether they were going to go out and rally up and start them a private school, which some of them did. So this conversation is just boiling inside, talking about race, talking about African American, talking about public schools, talking about all of this, when all of a sudden, man, it just exploded. The screen door flies open. My dad walks out and says, kids, get in the car. Because my dad believed in, in racial equality. My dad believed that the public schools should integrate. And my dad had no problem with them integrating. And he said, you kids will go to school. And I remember us being bussed over to N.D. Taylor and, and Therese. ABC, if I remember, one of the major news works, news, uh, newsrooms was there to cover it. My dad said, listen, I'm not, my dad, I'll never forget, turned, he walked out of a conversation of his own family because he was taking a stand for what is right. My dad was a holy man. And he was teaching us how to love people regardless of their color. Well, principle, uh, that's principle number 10. Principle number 10. Principle number 10. Now watch this. 
Let me ask you a question. Are you raising good kids or godly, godly kids? You remember, it's in, it's in Matthew 19. You remember when the man came up to Jesus and he, he said, Good teacher, what must I do to enter, uh, enter? What must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? You know what Jesus, Jesus looked offended. He looked offended. He, he said, Why do you call me good? No one's good but God. Are you saying I'm God? Let me give you something, and this is so powerful. Turn, to, turn from uh, wherever you left last. I think you'll have to take a left from 1 Peter. And look at Malachi. It's the last book in the Old Testament. Look at Malachi. Look at Malachi chapter 2. Malachi, the last book in your Old Testament, right before the book of Matthew. Malachi chapter 2 verse 15. Now, God is talking here to the nation of Israel... And he says to them, he says, Has not the Lord made them one in flesh and spirit? They are his. And why one? Now watch this. Look at this. This next statement here. Because he, talking about God, is desiring. In the NIV, it says desiring godly offspring. Let me ask you again. Is your objective to raise good kids? Now by that I mean good, polite, well-mannered, low maintenance, make you feel good in your own ego. You can kind of brag on them a little bit. They're good at athletics. They're good at academics. They're good in the band. They're good in cheerleader. They're a good popular kid. They are defined as good. But let me ask you something. Are they godly? You see, there's a big difference. Your child may not be in jail, but they're not in Jesus. I had, a, I had an individual, if I named her, every one of you would know. You would know her immediately. I had an individual, I was asking her about her daughter. She lit up and said, well, you know she's in jail. I said, really? She said, yes. She just smiled, just beamed from ear to ear. Jeffrey, I'll tell you afterwards. <laughs> I don't mean that, but this is a good testimony. I think it would be good for you to even to hear privately because I know you love this family. But she just lit up. She said, yes. She said she's in jail, but she's turned away from that life. She's turned away from where she's been. And now, guess what? She's leading Bible studies in the prison, in the jail. God's turned her life around. Here this, here this mother was lighting up. And she was lighting up because the reality is, is that finally her daughter was living a godly life, even if she was living it in jail. Let me ask you something. Are you raising good kids or godly kids? To raise good kids but not godly kids, I wrote this down, is to fail them and set them on, on a course toward hell. You know, so we have to be careful. Principle number 11. Disobedience may need to may need to or may lead to broken fellowship. The reality is is that you and I may have to understand something. Everybody, listen. Sometimes, as a parent, you have to break fellowship with your child when they're living in disobedience. Boy, it's real quiet. Let me give you an example. Um, one time, I, I, I yeah, and I've told you this. I was. I got to running around. Second grade kid, I nearly drowned because of this kid. His name was Tommy. And he nearly got me drowned. I mean, I was dying and a Seminole Indian pulled me out of a... You've heard that story. I'd have been dead. Tommy was a bad kid, got me into a lot of trouble. And one day, I said a four-letter word at the table. 
And man, when I, and I was a bad four-letter word. And uh, it wasn't popular back then either. And, and, and my dad, my dad, he did like this. He said, where did you hear that? I said, well, Tommy says it. He said, well, we don't talk like that. You don't say that. Well, a little while later, my sister did something to me, my annoying younger sister. And uh, when she did, uh, I let that word out again. Uh-oh. Man, Dad said, get up and go to your room. That was never good. Because I went to the room to put on 14 pairs of underwear and get ready. Because the wrath of Khan was getting ready to fall. Now, let me say this. Sometimes when children misbehave or they're rebelling against something that is a clear command for the family, something that you're teaching them, especially a spiritual thing, sometimes you'll say to a child, you'll say, go to your room. Go to your room. In other words, what you're saying to your child is, I can't, you can't fellowship with this family and you can't fellowship with me because of this behavior, so go to your room and either wait on me when they're young, and a lot of times as they get older, you just have to break fellowship. You know, there were times in my life where I knew God was breaking fellowship. Did you know that? James says this. James chapter 4, verse 8 says this, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Now what does that tell us? Sometimes there gets to be distance between us and God. You ever felt it? You ever start living, beginning to go back into some old patterns of disobedience if you're a Christian? You begin to start doing some things that you know you shouldn't do. And before long, you, you read your Bible and it, it just doesn't do anything. You pray and it doesn't do anything. You, you, you're in a worship service and you don't feel like worshiping. And the key is you begin to feel that God has distanced Himself from you. God has begun to break that kononia, that fellowship. Kononia in the Greek is intimate fellowship, intimate communication. Now you can't seem to hear from God. Not in His Word, not in worship, not in anything. In fact, even church, you, hey, people who ostracize, alien, they drop out of church, a lot of times they just simply say it's not important anymore. Well, the reason being is they didn't listen God didn't move they did and so God says hey this is real simple just draw near to me I'll draw near to you there were times when my parents told me listen you can't live this way fellowship with us you're going to have to go to your room and you're going to have to be away from the rest of the family you ever got sent away you ever got sent away without eating supper man I thought I was going to die without going without supper I, it only happened one time Man, I thought I wasn't going to survive. I, I, I just literally was sucking my stomach in, going in there crying in the hallway. Can I come in and eat my supper now? No, go to your room. <laughs> Look at me. I'm wasting away. That's why I'm so thin now, because I didn't get to eat my supper. You can tell how many times I got sent away from the table. But the reality is, is listen, to fellowship, listen to this, to fellowship with a child living in disobedience is to ensure that the child will continue to live in disobedience. My dad would discipline me, send me to my room, sometimes give me a spanking, and then afterwards, you know what my dad always did? Listen to this, parent. He would always come back in the room, sit down with me. This is an engineer with NASA. He would sit down next to me on that bed, and he'd say, son, did you learn your lesson? Because <laughs> you couldn't go back into the living room when you were doing that. Okay? Dry it up. When you get that done, you can come back in the living room. Now, he didn't really talk like that. It just sounds good. 
But he would, he would look at me and he'd say, did you learn your lesson? What'd you do wrong? And I, we'd go through this little, we'd go through this dialogue, this conversation, then you, you know what he'd do a lot of times? He'd say, let's go to Dairy Queen and get a milkshake. It was almost worth getting into trouble. <laughs> you see, that's, that's discipline. Sometimes, listen, I had a friend of mine, and you may not agree, but you know, you may, you may say, well, I, I don't agree with you on the LGBT movement. And you know me, you'll never find anybody in the LGBT movement that will ever tell you that I've been anything less than Christ-like kind. I've counseled numerous people who live in the homosexual lifestyle. I remember one time getting a call to St. Dominic's Hospital where a friend of mine was in the hospital, a woman. And her daughter was in a lesbian relationship. And it had grieved her so much that she was just absolutely agonizing. And I looked at her, I'll never forget, looked over her, she was laying in the bed and I said, I called her by name and I said, listen, if you don't give this child over to the Lord, you're going to kill yourself. You're destroying your life. Let go, let God deal with her. Sometimes you and I have to let go of children, put them in the hand of God and let God deal with them, especially when they're grown adults. And hey, let me tell you something, that's not easy. Now, I'm going to close in a moment, but I want you to hear me here. That's not easy. Let me tell you, let me, let me say something here. There have been times in the life of this church when we've had people in positions that uh, we've, had to, we've had to correct them. We've had to talk to them. Uh, we've never, I'll be, I will have been the pastor here for 22 years, the 1st of December. In 22 years. We've never mishandled. We've never been rude. We've never been disrespectful. We're always very private. I can remember a situation one time where a girl would have been deeply, deeply hurt by something that was put on Instagram and the family to this day does not know, but I was the one that got it removed from Instagram. Had it come out, it would have damaged this family unbelievably so. We always, as your pastor... If your child, and especially if it's a grown child, if they're living in, in contradiction to the Word of God, you can understand this. The leadership will handle that privately, discreetly. That's how we always seek to handle it. That's how we've always handled everything. There have been times, listen to this, I don't say this to hurt my own kids. There have been times that I have disciplined grown children or either broke fellowship with them for a period of time. Nobody's exempt from this, not even me as a pastor. If I'm doing something that is contrary to the Word of God, I would expect that man, Russell, I would expect you to come to me, address it. If I do not repent of it, then for you to discipline me and for a period of time say, Brother Jeff, you can't go to the pulpit. But let me say this. The same requirement for your pastor should be the same requirement for every member of this church. But let me tell you something. We never handle anything beyond the amount, how far it's known. We always do it with grace. We always do it with dignity. And we always do it with the attempt that we're trying to redeem. We're trying to bring somebody back. We're bring, trying to bring them to repentance to bring them back to where they need to be. You know why? Because I want you to be holy and I want you to go to heaven. I want you to go to heaven first. I want you to experience salvation and then holiness. You remember the word? And I'll close them all. You remember the word hagias for holy? The word for sanctification is hagias mas. You know what that means? That means that God, through the power indwelling Holy Spirit, is conforming you and I into the image of His Son. Holiness hurts. 
Last thing, principle number 12, and we'll close with this. Parenting, proper parenting can be practical parenting. You know, sometimes parenting is just the basic disciplines, okay? Uh, little things, you know. I, I wanted to leave with some practical things, but, you know, little things. Uh, you know, children learning to take care of their area. When you were in the military, in the military, uh, when you got ready to leave an area, they tell you to police your area. Anybody in the military, police your area, which meant that a soldier was responsible for his area. He would determine what was biodegradable. He could leave that possibly, but he couldn't leave things like papers, stuff like this. He had to police his area. I, I remember when I was at Fort Riley uh, in Kansas, it was one day 112 degrees. The water buffalo, the tank they carried the water in was so hot we couldn't drink it. It was that bad. And I remember I had this African-American sergeant that was mean as no time. He was the meanest man I've ever met, I thought. And, but I can tell you one thing that he did not say. He did not say when he told us to fall in. He didn't stick his head out the barracks and say, look, you guys go ahead and play and I'll clean this up. You guys go ahead and play. You guys go ahead and play. I'll clean up the barracks. You guys go and just do whatever y'all want to do. He never did that. In fact, I remember the first time, inspection. He looked like the Tasmanian devil going down through the barracks. He tore the thing to smithereens. He threw our covers everywhere. Just absolutely tore the place apart. Footlockers, flipping them over. And then he came out there and he got this close to a friend of mine from the University of Alabama. And he wasn't saying roll tide. He got about that close and he looked at my friend. He said, boy, he said, you're not at the Holiday Inn. And your mama's not going to come rescue you. <laughs> and I said, hey, listen, we cried at night. You know, sometimes it's practical things. A child's bedroom. You know, a fitted sheet, a comforter. Two clothes baskets, plastic clothes baskets. Put your dirty clothes in one, your toys in another. It's very simple. Raise your hand if you've ever stepped on a Lego. Anybody stepped on a Lego? I rest my case. Secondly, last one, parents, you must model a disciplined life in the practical areas of your life. If your car looks like a trash, trash compactor, then don't talk to the kids about cleanliness. If your home looks like Hurricane Florence touched down in it, then it's going to be hard for you to lead your children to learn the disciplines of life. Some kids, some young men, first time they get a taste of discipline and young women is when they're in the military. One room at a time. Now, let's stand. Go ahead and stand. I want to read a couple of things to you. Listen to this. Number one, first one, it's a conversation here with a Canadian judge in a youth, uh, youth court. The judge, a Canadian judge, asked a young man, 17 years old, he said, have you anything to say before I sentence you? The young man had committed murder and was soon to hear the death sentence. This is back in the old days. He was soon to hear the death sentence pronounced. He, he stood up, 17 years old. He said, yes, Your Honor, I have something to say. Am I alone responsible for the crime I committed? My father, because he had done it while he was intoxicated, he said, my father put the first bottle of liquor in my hand. My parents taught me there is nothing to religion. I never saw a Bible in my home. I've never heard my parents pray. May God have mercy on their souls as He does on mine. 
This young man recognized. You remember the scene in The Gladiator? In that great movie, the Russell Crowe? The Gladiator, where the emperor is killed by his own son. But before that, the emperor says this statement to his son. He said, your failure as a son is my failure as a father. One writer went on to say, and then we'll pray. He said, where should we draw the line and how? This is the question we parents face now. In a day when nothing seems to be wrong, when Christians are much the same as the throng, these our children have truly not known of things true Christians would never condone. Back in the days before their time, could we have failed to draw the line with no more against what we once thought wrong. We parents must bow our heads in shame while thy mercy and help we humbly claim to still be able to draw the line in a way that will help in plenty of time. The reality is for young parents in this room, you're, you're learning to draw the line. If you don't, then the reality is if you don't have no lines, no boundaries... And the reality is those children one day will rake you through great heartache, great sorrow. Now let me tell you how it begins. It begins, mom, dad, grandparent, by giving your life to Christ. True repentance. Giving your life to Christ. My mom, we were, we were little old bitty small kids. We were in a station wagon down in Titusville, Florida. man by the name of Brother Snow, he was the pastor fiery preacher, straight shooter. And, and, and one day after church, mom had corralled us all up, all four of us kids were in that station wagon jumping around, and uh, we were waiting on my dad when one of us said, Mom, where's dad? Mom said, well, he's talking to the preacher. My dad gave his life to Christ. My dad was baptized. My dad will be 89 next month. My dad still influences my life. I eat a meal with him every week because one day I won't have my dad. Parent, live your life in such a way that you lead your children toward holiness, toward Christ. And in the end, I promise you, you'll be blessed. If you're here and you say, well, I didn't do that. Pastor, I, I made some mistakes. Repent, confess, go to your child and try to restore a relationship and begin to build into them the changes you know Christ would have you to make. But give your life to Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord. We love You. We pray, dear Lord, now as we go into this invitation that if there's one here that doesn't know You today, that they'd give their life to You. Lord, we're not sitting in the suburbs. We don't have the riches and the resources and the personnel we're an inner city church. We're just trying, dear Lord, to live out this life a lot of times in difficult communities, in difficult places, with very, very limited resources, very few personnel. We try to be, dear Lord, everything that you've called us to be. For some here in this room, they're fighting social struggles and battles that are going on in the streets. Sometimes they get discouraged. I pray, dear Lord, you'll encourage these parents. And Lord, it's just not the inner city. Suburbs are just as wicked and ungodly and immoral. 
they're battling every bit as much. It's just given a different, different look, made to look a little bit more um, less bite inviting, but it's not. Lord, help parents to walk with you. And if there's one here that doesn't know you today, they'll give their life to Christ. And Lord, we'll give you the praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You come.